Thank you for downloading this sermon from Holy Trinity Reformed Church. If you live in the vicinity of Mooresville, Indiana, come join us as we rebuild Christ's Holy Church out of the ash heaps of American fundamentalism and evangelicalism through repentance, revival, and reformation. If you would like more information about Holy Trinity Reformed Church, or if you do not live in our area but would like to support this ministry, please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. chapter 2, and this is part 2 of what we began last week, and (laughs) who knows where we're going to end up, so let's try to begin here this morning, looking in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, we're not going to read the whole section that we read last week. But notice in verse 1, and you, the audience to whom Paul is writing, and you, he, talking about the God that has been declared in the first chapter, and you, he, God, has made alive. Who, that's the you again, who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is the word of the Lord, and it is eternally true, that you were born dead in trespasses and sins. But it was this God who has made us alive, the one to whom Paul said in chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him." So, the he who has made alive in chapter 2 and verse 1 is the sovereign God of the universe. The one who is sovereign over all things. The one who is working his will to be accomplished in this earth. It is... God's will, God's purpose, God's pleasure that is being performed. Then there is the you, those who are dead in trespasses and sins. So there is the distinction there. God, who is in control over everything, and he is in control over whether sinners shall be saved or not. God doesn't owe us anything. 
He did not have to send Jesus Christ into the world. But he is sovereign over all things. And then there are us who are dead in trespasses and sins. Last week we introduced our topical emphasis (laughs) for our next few sermons because we're not even going to try to pretend that we're giving um, an expository sermon. But our topical uh, emphasis for the next few sermons was introduced last week And however many sermons that might end up being, I have no idea. But our topic is the doctrine of salvation, which is a very important topic for man who's dead in trespasses and sins. Um, But our topic is the doctrine of salvation, and we have titled this series, The Importance of Soteriology. And of course, we gave a little explanation about that word last week. Uh, because it's one that you probably don't use very often, but it just simply means the doctrines of salvation. And yet, or actually it's the study of the doctrines of salvation, but our purpose is really to emphasize some important doctrines, and actually in do- uh, doctrines that have been distorted, uh, abandoned, or actually even rejected today, And so that's kind of our purpose. You know, I hope we are past, and it's very important, and we need to proclaim it, and we'll continue to proclaim it. But hopefully, us here this morning, we have reached the point where we understand that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that's not disparaging that knowledge. That's important knowledge, and it is the gospel, and that's what we proclaim. But I hope that we can try to recover some of the details of the gospel that have been lost or abandoned or rejected in this current climate, this culture that we are now living in, this deconstructed Christendom. Our first purpose is to deal with this topic, this word, And it's another word that you probably are not familiar with. You have heard it, but actually having a working familiarity with it, probably not so much. And so what we're going to deal with this morning, or begin to deal with, is atonement. And that creates a few problems for us. First of all, we don't understand the magnitude of the subject. And we don't understand that... A lot is writing on this word. And that we can never recover Christendom in the West without it. Secondly, we have a word that is considered archaic. (laughs) We Americans, sometimes, we're, we're just flat out nuts. So if we don't know something, it's archaic. You know, well, you know, because we know everything. So if we don't know it, it has to be archaic. It, there has to be some excuse for it, right? But it's a word that's considered archaic today in our culture, not only in that it's a word that we don't use much, but also because it is a word that contains a concept that is considered archaic. Even though the world still revolves around it, and even though the world practices 
a a perverted uh, concept of it, even though the world is still built on this topic, it is a concept that is also considered to be old, ancient. Atonement has become this closeted, camouflaged concept that has been reduced and the confusion comes from a world in transition. Now, a fuller, corrupted version of atonement will come back into the world. The confusion we have today is a world in transition. The world is still built on atonement, but we are moving from Christian atonement to paganistic atonement, which is scary in and of itself. Pagan atonement is even worse than Islamic, uh, Judaistic, or Hinduistic concepts of atonement. So in the efforts to deconstruct Christian atonement, secularists today deny that they even practice it. Even though, in various ways, they do. Now, it's hidden sometimes or reduced, but it is still practiced, even though they deny the concept of it. And then on the other hand, we Christians have fallen prey to the uh, humanistic enlightenment lies and therefore have abandoned the concept of Christian atonement in its fullest sense. And so because it is archaic and your inclination then is to not even consider it, it's like, oh great, another one of these old religious words that just, I mean, what bearing is it going to have on the world today? This is a new world. This is the old world. And now we've got to consider this word that we don't use in modern America. But you use it way more often than you realize. Now, you don't use the specific word atonement, but you use all the words that define atonement. And so our inclination is going to be, oh, great, another word that not familiar with, that we don't use, that has no bearing on my life. But I assure you, it is an easy word to say, it's an easy word to spell, and an easy word to define, so pay attention, because it is used and practiced much more than you think, and it's not just some ancient, boring concept. The world is built upon it. And let me go so far as to say the world is created upon this element of atonement. So we were talking in Sunday school about various components. This is one of those components that's actually found in creation. Atonement. You see, a lot of times we think if we have any knowledge or understanding of atonement, this was something that was added later. This is something that came about later. But no! Atonement is built into the fabric of creation. And that is why even pagans have a concept of atonement. Pagans even have a practice of atonement, and they always have. Now, it may have been the Mayans 
offering human sacrifices. (laughs) But that was a concept of atonement. That was a paganistic, corrupted practice of atonement. So this is not some ancient, boring concept. And that is not our only problem, though. I also have a personal problem, which <laughs> I have a lot of personal problems. Um, and I, you know, I have this personal problem way more often than just today and throughout the course of uh, these series of messages because I am flesh and am only a man. And my frustration may cause me to try to say too much. But that's usually my problem to begin with is trying to say too much. And by too much, I mean trying to squeeze too much into one discourse. I also mean making controversial statements that are not in the proper order because this is actually a controversial topic that we are going to deal with. So I need to slow down and let it take however long it takes, but I do have a lot to say and I do mean to say something and not reduce it to nothing and not try to avoid saying the hard things. But the reason for my frustration is due to the fantasy world that we live in. And my goodness, is that increasing um, each and every day. It includes, of course, the virtual world, which is in the metaverse concept, which is its own frustration. But, you know, this fantasy world that we are living in was created way before we had the devices in order to aid our delusions. You see, this whole virtual world and metaverse concept is really nothing but the outworking of the delusional fairyland that we created since the humanistic enlightenment. Now, please don't understand me. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not Amish. I don't want to be Amish. I love air conditioning, and I love furnaces with gas heat um, because you don't have to uh, split wood. But they do say um, splitting firewood will, or cutting firewood will warm you up twice. First time when you cut it, the second time when you burn it. So it is more efficient. But um, I really don't want to spend much more of my time. I've already spent time in my youth doing that. And I don't want to spend a whole lot more of my time cutting firewood if I don't have to. So I do like modern conveniences. So I'm not necessarily opposed to new technology or ways of working. But I am opposed to using technology or creating technology that is based upon false worldviews and practices. I want Christian technology, not pagan technology. Now, what I mean by delusional fairyland is that we deny the old world realities because, oh yeah, we are so advanced today. We are so smart and intelligent and sophisticated and pious. But actually, we practice the old world realities in new world piety. It's just the old that's repackaged. 
Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, and truly there is not. But we are so pious in our advanced culture as if we have eradicated human sacrifices. And now we have, you know, we are so advanced. We eradicated human sacrifices. But yet we abort unborn babies and euthanize old people. Maybe we haven't eradicated as much as we thought. We condemn priesthood. And then we go see our therapist. Or just simply watch Dr. Phil. Yeah, old world realities in new world piety. The same is true of atonement which is attached to the very things we have mentioned thus far. We deny the idea of atonement when atonement is baked into creation. We reject the Christian idea of atonement and practice the pagan idea of atonement. We may not recognize it, but we do. We no longer believe that the one true and living God must be appeased. But we do try to appease all the other gods, whether it's through karma, passing it forward, paying it forward, all this kind of stuff, you know. And we are too sophisticated to believe that the gods of the Canaanites or the Greco-Roman world must be appeased while we're appeasing the new enlightenment gods. And so we offer incense, participate in sacrificial systems and priesthoods, and even participate in the rites and ceremonies of the new paganism and yet reject the idea of Christian atonement. Now, the concept of atonement is lost amongst Christians today while we are practicing pagan atonement throughout our whole culture. Listen, I mean, even the words you speak give yourself away. Even the way things function throughout society gives it away, that there is a such thing as atonement that is natural. And so we just have different gods today we are attempting to appease in contrast to the gods of ancient history. And whether they are really actually that much different or not is another discussion, but we at least think they're different. But, for example, abortion is a pagan atonement. It is a blood sacrifice to the gods of humanism, and although it is not a sacrifice to appease the gods of Bel and Astaroth or the Greco-Roman deities, because we are enlightened. (laughs) And we are so enlightened, we will not... We will not try to appease those gods, but we do try to appease the new gods of humanism. And abortion is a blood sacrifice to appease the gods nonetheless. How many mothers take their teenage daughter to an abortion clinic to atone for their daughter's sin? Why are they taking them there? To atone for their sin. No, not the sin of fornication. No, 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 no. Because we don't have Christian atonement. And obviously abortion wouldn't be Christian atonement. 
No, no, this is something different going on, right? So it's not the sin of fornication they're trying to atone for, but the sin of transgressing the God of prosperity. So there must be atonement so that she can go to college and have a career. You see, the whole cancel culture is based upon atonement. Someone angers the gods of public opinion, and they must be sacrificed. Just ask the baker in Colorado. It's still not over. They're still after him. And so this idea of atonement in Christianity must be recovered in order to contend with the pagan concept and practice of atonement and to eradicate the pagan concept and practice of atonement. But that means we have to restore the Christian concept and practice of atonement. Hopefully we will be able to deal with more than just the idea, but first things first, right? We have to deal with the idea of atonement, that there is such thing as atonement, and to understand what that idea is. But we have to rec- what we have to first recover is the knowledge that the present world system works on the concept of atonement. There is not a system that has ever operated in this world or that will ever operate in this world that does not operate off of some version of atonement. And if we do not recover the Christian belief and observance of atonement, I am afraid of what the consequences are going to be upon this world, and especially the next generation. If the Lord is merciful to me and I get another 20 years to fill out my allotted time, I will probably see some dire consequences of this. But, you know, I'm already nearly 54 years old, and so there's really not a whole lot of time left, and whatever consequences they are really is not going to have a huge impact over the course of the majority of my life, but it will on them. Right? First of all, the world will progress in the pagan concept and practice, which means it would be no big surprise to see human sacrifice return. If we continue in the pagan practice and concept of it, you don't think it's going to go that direction? Why not? Always has. And secondly, I believe it will advance in the creation of their humanistic gods to where, yes, it will be just as bad as it was with the ancient gods. Now, this time, maybe not carved out of stone because we're too sophisticated for that. I mean, we are too evolved, we are too enlightened, I mean, for crying out loud. Why would we ever listen to a rock tell us what to do? I mean, is that silly or what? I mean, let's get a rock, let's chisel something out, or a piece of wood, maybe. That way we can carve it out, and and it's like, okay, 
These are your gods, O Israel. Hear what they have to say. Oh, yeah, we're not. Come on. We, We are enlightened. We would never do that. Stone and wood. What do you take us for? A bunch of imbeciles? No, no, no. We wouldn't do that. But plastic and metal. Now, that, now, now that's different, okay? Plastic and metal is different than wood and stone. <laughs> and heaven forbid that we end up with these gods, this time carved out of plastic and metal, and that we actually believe that they speak and hear. Alexa, tell me what to do. She, she doesn't really speak and hear, okay? She's not conscious. She does not have intelligence. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with using Alexa. I'm just using this as an example of where this stuff can lead right and how it is leading in our culture and society. And there's all kinds of people that believe now that these uh, artificial, uh, that artificial intelligence has, became, has gained consciousness. And there's even conversation and debates now. It's like, well, maybe we should listen to them and let them tell us what to do. Because they're so much better than us. And they're, they're, crea- they're a higher created being than us. Oh yeah, we are so far advanced. We're not advanced. We're no better than them stupid Canaanites. Bowing before carved statues out of wood and carved statues out of stone with some ventriloquist pulling the wool over their eyes. You see, in the old days, you either had to be a ventriloquist or use some kind of smoke and mirrors or have the ability to con everyone into thinking that you could hear the stone speak or the wood speak and then communicate it to them. So, that's where we're headed. The old coming back into the new. But part of our contending for the faith, then, is going to be to rediscover and reestablish the Christian concept of atonement. Lest we are left in a world that is operating under a pagan concept. And so the first thing I want us to consider, and this is all we're going to consider for the rest of our time here this morning is the existential reality of atonement. First, as Christians, we must understand or realize the existential reality of atonement if we are going to restore it. Now, I realize we're using more words this morning that may not be our common language, especially, you know, like in rural Morgan County. Not that country folk are, are dumber than anyone else. It's just certain words are not applicable to our daily life. 
We're not sitting in some ivory tower in some academia uh, center of the world pontificating about everything under the sun. So really, there's not, not much use for certain words in our vocabulary because it's not going to help us get the job done, perform the tasks that we are doing. So every vocation, every class of society has their own language. And existential may not be a part of our everyday language, but it is something important for us to understand and learn in relation to atonement. Unfortunately, existential is also one of those overused words, right, by people who think that they are smart or who have simply learned a new word. And so they use it for everything, (laughs) I mean, everything's existential this and existential that and on and on and on. But it just simply means of or relating to or affirming existence or having existence. Or being, having, being, or essence. Or the state or fact of having, being, especially and independently of human consciousness and as contrasted with non-existence. So... What do I mean by the existential reality of atonement? What I'm saying is that the concept of atonement is not just a Christian doctrine. But it is actually a concept in which creation exists. This is why atonement or something associated or resembling it exists in every other worldview and in every other language. Every culture has had it. Obviously, I am only speaking from the Christian view. I do not argue theism or theistic concepts from a neutral position when I argue for the existence of God. I argue for the existence of the Christian God in the Trinity, for there is no other God. I do not argue for some higher power, a spirit in the sky, or simply a designer. Although the true God is the highest power, he is the spirit in the sky, and he did design all things. So, to prove my premise here that the atonement is an existential reality, that it is the essence, it is part of the essence of creation, it was not just inserted into the world, it didn't come about after Genesis 3, but it was created into the universal system. Now, before we get into the Holy Scripture to prove this point, let me answer why this is important. Or at least put a thought in our head as to why it is important. And I think it would be easy for many to be indifferent as to the proof if they don't see the importance. The reason why this is important is because atonement is not a response to the world God created. Now listen closely. It is not a response to the world that God created, but it is a purpose for which God created the world. Atonement is actually part of the purpose. Atonement is not the duct tape 
in God's eternal plan. No, it is a component of the uh, the existence and the essence of creation. Just as it is necessary to understand that the male-female distinction is an essence of creation, so too it is important to know that atonement is an essence of creation. You can never have a true consciousness of the world or understand the purpose of who you are or how you are to live in this world if you do not know the state of existence. In other words, atonement was part of God's decree in creating the world. I want to refer you to a few passages of scripture here. First of all, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 20, if you want to turn there uh, to see uh, that these things are stated and implied here in the text. In Romans 13, first of all, um, well, for sake of time, let's just look down in to verse 8. Because there's only one little phrase I'm really wanting you to notice here at this point. Notice it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Talking about the beast, right? Whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When was Jesus crucified? Somewhere around 33 AD, right? So the world, according to biblical history, had been around for a little better than 4,000 years when Jesus was crucified. But yet, the Bible declares that Jesus was crucified before the foundation, or from the foundation of the world. So when the world was being founded by God, in God's plan and decree, it was certain that Jesus Christ was going to be slain. Remember, this is before Genesis 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Look over in Ephesians chapter 3. And let's, we need to pick up reading a little bit earlier here. Um, Paul says, to me, in verse number 8, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which was from the beginning of the ages that has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what he has accomplished through Christ, it was an eternal purpose. What is one of the things Jesus Christ came to do? To atone for our sins. The atonement was the eternal purpose. In other words, the world was created for atonement. Look in Titus chapter 1. 
in Titus chapter 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth which leads to godliness. Oh, yeah, we better keep going. (laughs) Um, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. How do you receive eternal life through Christ? Jesus had to come and atone for your sins. Look in Ephesians chapter 1. We just read this a few minutes ago. Where it says in verse 4, Just as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How important is atonement? It is one of the purposes for which God created the world and mankind. Now I know we're like, oh, we're too sophisticated for that. I mean, we got to defend God. Well, is God sovereign or not? But we want to come along and we say, well, uh uh-oh. Well, does that mean that God is the author of sin? Well, no. But is it so hard for us to acknowledge and understand that even though God created Adam with a free will, that God knew precisely what was going to happen and already had planned everything out based upon his knowledge? What purpose would it be for God to have the knowledge if he wasn't going to do something about it, right? So why wouldn't he already have the plan? You say, yeah, but, yeah, but, well, no, it's not going to fix your dilemma because if he knew and if in your view God knew what was going to happen but yet did nothing about it, then what are you saying about God? Nope, from the very beginning God had this all planned out on what he was going to do. One of the purposes for which God created the world was to atone for the sins of man. You see, it's part of the created system. God created a perfect world, but decreed to redeem fallen man by sending Jesus Christ to atone for man's original and continual sin. Why? For his glory. Because that's the ultimate reason for the creation of this world. Was for his glory to be made known. That is the reason for the atonement. For his glory to be made known. That he is merciful and compassionate and long-suffering. That he is a great God and Savior and Redeemer of man. In Psalm chapter 72, blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Why? Because that's the purpose of creation. For his glory to fill the earth. In Habakkuk chapter 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Why? Because that's his purpose. Revelation 4 
The declaration, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Therefore, the purpose of creation was so that the Lord's glory might fill the earth and his name be praised. As the psalmist said, from the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Who also said, his name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doth wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. This is the reason why all nations... Whom he has made will come and worship before him and glorify his name because this was the very purpose for which he created the world. He created a lesser being that he knew was not divine and that would not be able to do divine things so that he in his divinity could come and rescue his creation so that his glory would be made known so that his mercy would be made known. But the point in all that is to say this, that the atonement is the very essence, part of the very essence of creation. But we have been conned as Christians to disclaim it. And therefore, we no longer have a concept of atonement. And when you think of atonement, think of these words. Substitution, satisfaction, remission, reconciliation, expiation, ransom. But you also have to think of these words. Sacrifice, priesthood. Rites, ceremonies. But we have came to a place where we have rejected a Christian concept of atonement and a Christian practice of atonement. And now it is being filled with paganistic atonement. Bad things are ahead for our society if we do not return to a Christian concept of atonement. Bad things are happening because we are now practicing paganistic concepts of atonement. We need to realize as Christians that this world was created for the concept and practice of atonement. You were created. Because if it wasn't God's intention, he could just killed Adam off and been done with it. But you were created. God allowed you to be born because the purpose for you coming into this world is to be atoned for. And then for you to become part of that ministry of atonement that Paul talks about in Colossians where we read that God is in the world, that God is reconciling the world to himself. God is atoning the world unto himself, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the ministry 
of atonement. Father, there's a lot to consider when we think about atonement. But may you help us to realize that there was nothing lost to you. It was part of your eternal plan, your eternal decree. You were not surprised by it. You had already planned for it. As a matter of fact, you had already prepared for it. And you had already established it. And so, Father, may you help us to realize that the very purpose of our existence is to show forth your glory and your mercy in being reconciled back to you and to be reconciled unto each other and to work for man to be reconciled to God and man. May he help us to realize that this is the essence of our life and it's what we have been called to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.